Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hey guys, thanks so much for your patience while I I pulled this podcast together. Many of you know that I am in the process of moving as of this taping. I've got two more days in D.C. and then I'm out. Coordinating this whole situation has been the most difficult thing I've ever done. I'm going to arrive on the 3rd. My mattress arrives on the 4th. My bed arrives on the 6th. My belongings should also arrive on the 6th, but it could be the 7th. And my truck might arrive before I get there. By all accounts, moving is a shit show, whether you're moving down the street or across the country. And it's just part of the process. I prepared myself for six weeks of foolishness and fuckery. And I think we're in like week three now. It's um, it's a lot. I'm sorry. I'm a little distracted right now. I sat down about an hour ago to tape this podcast to get it up for the morning. Even in the process of moving, I told you all that I would do my best to keep the podcast on a somewhat regular schedule. I had some downtime and I wanted to get something up. As I sat down to to begin taping, I got a text from one of my friends that Nipsey Hussle had been killed. Somebody's father, somebody's man, somebody's son, a business owner, 33, Jesus year. So many years ago, I remember thinking 33 was so old. And now on the cusp of 40, 33 seems so young. It is so young. I don't follow hip hop as much as I used to. Like I came up writing for all like the hip hop magazines. That's how I got my start as a writer, like the source, double XL vibe, like a vibe intern almost 20 years ago. And so I used to follow, you know, hip hop religiously. But I haven't kept up with it um, as much in, in recent years. Just, you know, kind of in some ways grew out of it. But Nipsey Hussle, and I'm very late um, to, to finding out about him. He was featured in, in GQ with his girlfriend, Lauren London. I've loved her since ATL. Lauren London was up on a horse. Had a good looking man, tall man, standing with her. And I was like, what is this woman doing on this horse? And who is this man? So I actually Googled him. The first story that came up was Forbes. And I was like, what? I thought he was a rapper. I, I can't name you one Nipsey Hussle song, but it was about him being a real estate mogul. He's from South Central LA. He bought a building, some land. He'd open a clothing store that was successful. His plan was to demolish the building, build a series of residential properties in that space. His business would be one of the anchors for the space. It was a great business move because there is a, you know, LA is not known for its subway systems, but there is one, there is a train stop expanding right across the street from the business that he opens. He took advantage of of a new business district and the tax breaks offered with it. He was creating something positive in his community. He was working on, on a documentary about Dr. Sebi. He was the herbalist who, I want to say it was 1985, mid-1980s. He said that he had discovered a way to cure AIDS without drugs. He was arrested and he died in police custody, allegedly from pneumonia. There are a lot of people that think the pharmaceutical companies 
had something to do with his death, that he was killed. Because obviously, they're making billions off treating, not curing, but treating HIV and AIDS. And here along comes this man that was like, you need a, some herbs. You don't need all this, this, um, these drugs. You don't need all these drugs. So some people are saying that that, that had something to do with, with why he was, he was killed. You know, he's obviously a, a progressive man. He was obviously interested in, in community uplift and giving back and entrepreneurship and, and such. Maybe. I don't know. The why, I think, is, is, it's important, obviously. That's something to be, you know, explored. And something tells me this is probably going to end up like one of those, like, who shot Tupac or who shot Biggie. I spent most of 2018 bopping around the world, few different continents, few different cities. I think I went to 10 countries in 2018. And I saw a Tupac or Biggie poster, T-shirt, mural, something, something acknowledging them in every single country I went to. And I always think about the impact that those two men made in their very short time here. They were cut down, not even in their prime, before their prime. They didn't get a chance to grow up. And maybe they would have grown up and been complete assholes. That's like, that's totally a possibility. But maybe they could have grown up and become good men. Like NWA Ice Cube ain't Ice Cube in Disney films. He grew up. Everybody doesn't get that chance. It's, um, it's really sad. Nipsey Hussle is what, 33? He got a bit more chance to live. He got, what, another eight years? But look at what those eight years were able to do. He was a, I want to say he was an ex-gang banger. Because he had a chance to live, he had the opportunity to, to see the error of his ways, to turn his life around. He had a platform and he wasn't out here using it to talk about bullshit. I just wish, just wish so many. And, you know, I'm talking about rappers, but I'm also talking about like all the young people, people in general, but especially young people who've been victims of police violence or street violence or just dumb shit and you die. Doesn't really matter as much how it happens, but that it happens. I mean, Trayvon Martin is a name that we know. Michael Brown is a name that we know. But like, you know, I always think about that New York Times article when they talked about his death and they described him as no angel. I don't know. I did so much dumb shit at 18. Illegal shit, too. I'll learn something from Cardi B and not go forth and, you know, recount my criminal history. But I had a chance to grow up. And grow out of that dumb phase or to have a near miss, whether it's driving, once turned my car around on a freeway, did a whole 180, scared the shit out of myself. And my ass learned to stop speeding all the damn time. And it's just so sad that so many people don't get that chance over stupid shit. Like there's no, there's no, nothing you could tell me that would justify Shooting that man six times in the neighborhood where he grew up, outside his business, 
where he's trying to do something positive. And then he's just dead. And folks are posting his his body. Like all the stuff that he did. Fame. Fortune. Good living. None of it counted. I mean, not in terms of saving him. It's just sad. Rest in peace. Rest in power to Nipsey Hussle. My thoughts and prayers are are with Lauren London, his girl, his kids, other family, friends. It's a tragedy, man. It's a tragedy. I plan to talk about many different subjects for this podcast, and some of them were completely frivolous. And I just, I don't know. I just don't have the heart to like to delve into them right now. I mean, some things are are interesting. They have no larger cultural conversation. And sometimes I'm very happy to talk about that. But right now, I just don't really give a shit. Let me run through them real quick. Make sure you're getting your time's worth because I do appreciate you tuning in. And I know that it's ratchet and respectable. So we do a little high, we do a little low. I wanted to talk about the return of being Mary Jane. I feel like this show has been off the air for two years and now they're bringing it back as a two hour series finale, which look, the first three seasons of that show when Mara Braca Keel was in charge, that was a good ass show. I watched the show pretty faithfully. That whole season with Lee, like I just, I didn't care. Her move to New York, I'm like, why? She should have stayed in Atlanta. It's been off for so long. I can't even remember exactly what happened in that final episode. In the commercials for this movie finale, which I'm like, I mean, I guess you started it with the film, so it's okay to end it with the film. But there's a lot going on. So Michael Ely obviously was the love interest for for the last season. Somehow Morris Chestnut has got introduced into this situation. How dare you? Ask a woman to choose between Michael Ely and Morris Chestnut. Anyone who knows me knows, like, I have this thing for Michael Ely. He does it for me on, like, some sort of visceral level. No disrespect. He's a married man. Like, I'm just, you know, speaking as a fan. I interviewed him once for Essence, essence Essence.com. It was on the, it's one of the stages at, at Essence Music Festival. I like to think I'm a pretty decent interviewer. I've been interviewing people for like 20 years. Michael Ely, I dropped the cards. He picked them up. I think he brushed my knee and I dropped them again. Like I was a whole mess. All the pictures, I'm smiling with like all 32 of my teeth. Okay, maybe 28. I had my wisdom teeth removed when I was in college. Yeah, so 28. The 28 teeth I had left, I was smiling with all of those because he was just, my God. And that was in the phase where he was doing that, um... What was that Tyler Perry remake movie that had everybody and their mother in it? All the good actresses, but it was still bad. For Colored Girls. Remember in that movie, he was crazy? And he threw them babies out the window? He was he was filming that at the time. So he looked scruffy and crazy. He definitely needed a haircut and a shave. But he still looked good. Whatever. That's not the point of this. The point of this is that Michael Ely is technically not my type. But Michael Ely is my type. And I can't make a decision on who to root for between Michael Ely and Morris Chestnut. Morris Chestnut is a god among mere mortals. 
Like, I've never seen anybody look like that before. And he gets better because he was all right as Ricky and Boys in the Hood. But when he showed up as Lance and the best man with that little tiny cross, girl, I feel like this premiere is two years too late. But I'm going to watch it just because I invested in every season of the show. I've seen every episode a couple times. I just got to find out how it ends. And did she ever stop peeing in the bed? Do we ever figure out what that was about? Are we going to see David again? In other news, this Aretha Franklin documentary. So title has the Aretha Franklin gospel album. It's called Amazing Grace. It's the highest selling gospel album of all time. Two million copies. It's recorded in 1972. I wasn't born yet. My mother was like, yeah, it came out when I was a senior in high school. She was like, I used to play it all the time. Her father was a pastor. She wasn't allowed to listen to R&B. She could only listen to gospel in the house. I've been driving around listening to this album. I caught the Holy Ghost the other day. You know, the whole, he saved a wretch like me. I was in a really bad place at one point and I'm much better now. It's been a long process. So I was driving around and straight up caught the Holy Ghost. I probably should have pulled over. Like I managed to start crying and everything. But I was like, oh, like I really do need Jesus to take the wheel. But that documentary is coming out. I know it drops in New York and L.A. this Friday. I think it drops everywhere else during the month of April. But if the the film is anything like the soundtrack, which the film is exactly the soundtrack. The film just has more. Um, like, I can't wait. I reached out to the producers to do um, some promo for it, but they didn't get back to me. I thought it'd be cute to rent out a theater and a whole bunch of black folks get dressed up in their Sunday best on like a Thursday, Friday night or a Saturday afternoon and go watch this gospel documentary. Cause it's like the blackest thing I've ever heard of. Like Aretha Franklin singing gospel in the seventies backed by a choir who everybody got an Afro and they're like in disco choir robes in a church with no air condition in South Central Los Angeles. Does it get any blacker? I mean, if you put it in Detroit, maybe. But yes, so I want to see this Aretha Franklin documentary. I'm super excited about it. Oh, also on my my list of things to talk about is Lizzo on the cover of Playboy. She's the second plus-size woman to be on the, the cover. Her music doesn't really move me I don't think I'm the target audience for it but I like what she represents she's just like no I'm big I'm beautiful and you will like it cute girl beautiful girl big and beautiful not big but beautiful big and beautiful my mother saw it she's like oh that's a big girl I was like yeah she is that's the point I love the the visuals it's just not my type of music it's not bad music and she plays the hell out of a flute which I was like wait what I was reading something about her and they were like, yeah, she's like a classically trained flutist. I was like, what? Oh, Jordan Peele. Us. I can't tell you a thing about it. I didn't go see it. I don't watch horror movies. I need to sleep peacefully at night. I got enough crazy shit going on in my life. I can't go scare myself to death at the movies and be scared to fall asleep or have crazy ass dreams. So I don't have a review of us. I do have some thoughts on Jordan Peele. He caught hell last week. He did a talk. I don't remember where it was. He said that he wasn't going to make a white man a lead 
in his films. And somehow this upset people. And I was like, did he just randomly come out and say that? Or did someone ask him? But either way, I was trying to figure out like what people were so mad about. Does the horror genre really need more white male leads? Like part of the appeal of Jordan Peele is that black folks historically never survived in horror movies. Somebody's going to hear this and be like, oh, in XYZ film, like the guy survived. I'm like, it was a joke for a while how black people didn't make it past the first 10 minutes. And now like this black guy comes along. He's dominating in the horror genre. He's making up for lost time by telling stories about black people. Can somebody else have a story for a while? Like you find the one person who's breaking barriers and centering people who look like him or who share his black experience. And you want to be like, well, you know, it's problematic that you won't tell stories about white men. You know how racist that is? To tell somebody that I know like historically, you know, you've been oppressed and, and put aside and it's been hard to to green light movies. And, and for a long time, you know, black actors and actresses complained that they didn't get nominated because there were no quality roles. Y'all started getting some quality roles and then we still either wouldn't give you the nomination or we nominate you and, and we wouldn't let you win. Now somebody's actually like winning and, and doing like big box office numbers and you're you're mad at them for not now centering white men the utter entitlement it's so disgusting i totally support jordan peele's work get out was great but us people be like oh it's not that scary yeah it is it's a horror movie i ain't going to see that but good for jordan peele for for centering black men in his films although I did hear that the role of the father, people were like, yo, that's like the worst representation of a black man I've ever seen. And I was like, really? The dad in the Howard sweatshirt? Like, that wasn't a good representation? They were like, that man ain't do shit to protect his family. That was all the woman and the girl. And I was like, really? What's that about? Maybe he was strong in spirit if he was weak physically. That made no sense. That's a big ass man. But yeah. What else is on this list? Oh, I'm so sick of talking about Jesse Smollett. I think he did that shit. Cook County prosecutor decided to dismiss the charges. He was not exonerated. They just dismissed the charges. He had 16 charges against him, which I was like, look, I know he did some dumb shit. And I know there was potential for so many bad things to happen from what he did. But the truth of the matter is he was the only person that was harmed. It's not like people were out here randomly believing black people to begin with. And then because of Jesse Smollett, they were like, oh, no, we believed you. And then Jesse happened. And now we don't believe anybody at all. Like every time black people be like, oh, something happened. They'd be like, no, you're lying. And then black people be like, now cue the video. And they still be like, no, you're still lying. I'm like, did you see the video? If you thought black people were lying about racism and hate crimes before Jesse Smollett, you still think they are. If you thought black people were telling the truth about hate crimes and racism before Jesse Smollett, you still think black people are telling the truth. It's not like, oh, I believe black people were victims of racism and hate crimes, but then Jesse Smollett lied. And now I don't believe black people are victims of hate crimes and racism anymore. That's not really how it worked. I think the only real victim here. 
I mean, Jesse Smollett, because he got his ass beat. I mean, he paid people to do it, maybe, allegedly, or not. I don't know. What, what's the proper terminology there? If the charges were dismissed, but he wasn't exonerated, is it still alleged? I don't know. I'm just trying to keep myself from getting sued. I ain't trying to see nobody's lawyer cease and desist. I ain't got time to be hiring a lawyer for that. I got lawyers for other stuff right now. And Chris Rock roasted his ass at the NAACP Awards. I heard people were mad at Chris Rock, but I heard it was over something else. But Chris Rock, <laughs> basically, he was like, Jesse lied. He said, we're not going to call him Jesse anymore. We're going to take the U out because he got to lose some respect. Chris Rock told the joke so much better. Go back and watch it. It was hilarious. But the funny part, was, he was like, do you know what I could have done with all that light skin and curly hair? Like Chris Rock was out here trying to battle Hollywood as a dark skinned black man with nappy hair and for a while buck teeth. He got a bag and fixed his teeth as he should. Chris Rock looks all right now. He did what he was supposed to do with money. He fixed himself up. I thought that shit was hilarious. People are like, that's inappropriate. Chris Rock is making light of colorism. Like, no, Chris Rock is pointing out colorism. Jesse had advantages because he's light. That's that's fact. That's privilege. Like talk about light skin privilege. It, it exists. And they were also mad at him. I didn't see the video that folks were talking about. They were like, oh, Chris Rock lets white people use the N-word in front of him. I wouldn't do it. That's kind of disappointing. Chris Rock is somebody who I expect to, like, curse you out and go off about that. I can't excuse that one. So I think that's actually fair criticism. Criticizing him over that Jesse joke. When I saw that clip on social media, I laughed just like Trevor Noah. I was in hysterics. That shit was funny. I would play it, but I don't know what the rules are for that. I ain't trying to get my podcast banned. Talking about copyright infringement. Need to look that up. We got two more topics. What the hell is going on with Randall Pearson on This Is Us? The most recent episode of This Is Us was all about Randall and Beth's backstory. Randall's an ass. I'm mad that I didn't catch it sooner. I've been saying... He wasn't living right since the episode where he was running for office and Beth told him she was overwhelmed and asked him to quit, which he promised he would if Beth asked him to. Like that was part of the agreement for allowing him to run when they had so much going on in the household. And so Beth agreed. And then two of the kids were like in crisis. And Beth was like, I need your help. I need you to quit. Because you said you would. And then he was like, no. And I was like, what? For, for the last two years, Randall's been out here acting like husband of the year. But not really. It's been dawning on most of us. Just over the last few episodes. I'm not going to call him a full out fuck boy. But brother Kevin is an asshole. Has been since he was a kid. Randall's also one. I mean, so is Kate. They're all like messed up because of their parents. But Randall is more charming. He's got the whole ideal black man thing going on. Like he's nerdy, but he's cute. He's affectionate. He's kind. He's really into his kids. Good family man type. Do-gooder type. Wants to build a relationship with his father. Wants to buy a building, wants to run for office to improve people's way of life, wants to adopt a child, give somebody a, a better chance at life. Same that was done for him. So, like, I get it. But then when you start looking at 
what that's cost his family, you're like, yo, some of that's selfish as shit. And then you got to like, think about like how he went about these things. Like, okay, you went and found your dad and then you decided you wanted him to move into the house with your wife and kids. Randall quit his job because he was upset that his father died and then came home and told Beth about it. He was like, oh, I got to make a stop real quick. He stopped by the office and quit his job. Sir, you can't just be quitting your good ass job without having a conversation with your wife. Then he wanted to buy a building. Then he wanted to adopt a kid. And Beth was like, sure, okay, sure, okay, sure, okay. And she went along with all of it. And then now Beth, she went on to see her mom. She found her purpose in life. She was like, you know what, I want to dance. Randall was like, sure, sure, you can dance. That sounds great. And then when the schedules weren't working out, he was like, yeah, so um, I'm going to need you to quit your job because, and I was like, sir, that was your first option? And he just sort of expected her to. And I was like, all the stuff Beth has done for you, said yes to all, like all these years, and now finally she has a dream and you want to tell her no after she's supported all of your shit all this time? I don't want to see Beth and Randall break up, but I do want to see Beth get some equal treatment up in that house. We had a really great conversation on my Instagram page about that last episode about Beth and Randall. I think Beth needs to take about half the blame for the way she's been screwed over in this marriage. She never did really stand up for herself. Her father was her biggest advocate. I mean, she was young when her mother was like, yeah, so that dream you had, it's going to be deferred. And what you're going to do is go to college instead. Beth never had a voice in that relationship. And she knew, I think, that Randall wasn't a good match. I don't know how they got from Randall and Beth went on the first date, which was a disaster. And they skipped ahead like seven years later. They're together. And I was like, how do we go from that disastrous ass first date to seven years later? Because I thought she was never going to see him again. And somehow they're still together. I don't I don't know how that happened. They need to fill in that blank. I mean, surely they would. It's, this is us. That's kind of what they do. I say all that to say Beth never really stood up for herself. Like she tried a couple times. And Randall would, he does this thing where he like walks away. In one of the flashbacks, they're, they're at mini golf. And Beth says something Randall doesn't like. So he walks away and he's like, I need space. I'm going to the car. And he just walks off. And he did it again. Same thing. The end of the episode, Beth was pissed at him. And she was like, I'm done. You can stay in Philadelphia. And then Randall comes home and barges in and forces the argument And then Beth was honest about, you know, these are your shortcomings. And then he was like, no, I don't accept that narrative. And then Beth, you know, she took a low jab talking about his anxiety. But it was true. He was like, you could have done these things at any time. And she was like, between what anxiety attack? It wasn't the right way that she said it. It definitely could have been phrased differently. But sometimes you got to talk about the uncomfortable truths. He didn't want to hear that. And then he got upset and barged out. You barged in knowing the woman was pissed and ain't really want to talk to you, forced a conversation and got mad at the conversation you had and barged out. You could have just stayed your ass in Philadelphia for all of that. That's how men be sometimes. But Beth does need to take some accountability. That episode was triggering as hell. I think every woman could probably relate to that episode in some way. Even the quote unquote good men, the the well-intentioned, I'm a feminist. I believe in equality. I had a strong mother, so I love strong women type men. 
still feel very entitled to have their their needs met. And if left unchecked, they tend to tap dance on women's boundaries. And they tend to put themselves first and not really feel that bad about it. It's my experience. Like even the good guys. Men tend to just sometimes, even when not intending, to bulldoze or to to do what they want and apologize after. And as a woman, like sometimes you just want to like enjoy the moment. You want to keep the peace. Or, you know, we're taught to nurture. We're taught to, as Beth put it, bend. I thought that was a way to say submit without saying submission. I don't know. That was a really hard episode. It reminded me of my strange husband. I left about two months before, but I'd I'd been back a couple times. So I was I was living between Maryland and New York. But one of the times I'd I'd come back was around Thanksgiving. I was planning to to go back to Maryland to be with my parents for Thanksgiving. His back was messed up. I think he had like back spasms or something. And he had to sleep on the floor. I was about to get in my truck and drive back to Maryland. As pissed as I was about, you know, the overall situation and, and things that had happened. I was like, I'm still his wife. I can't just leave him on the goddamn floor in the living room. No food for Thanksgiving. Like it's one thing if he can get up and go get it. But I can't just, you know, leave him here. Like we're not in a good place, but you don't abandon somebody. When they're not whole. I was like, all right, I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay here and make sure you're okay. And he was like, no, 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 go. Like, it's fine. Just go. I'll be fine. Just go ahead. And I was like, no, I, I know things are bad, but I don't have the wherewithal in me to just leave you on the floor. And I would like to think if the tables were turned, you would not do that to me. He was like, all right. He slept on the floor, slept in the bedroom. Next morning I get up. He's already up. He feels fine. We're tinkering around the house, you know, trying to be as cordial as possible. It's Thanksgiving. So somewhere around like two o'clock, he starts getting dressed. I'm like, oh, where are you going? He was like, oh, I'm gonna go to so-and-so's house for Thanksgiving. And I was like, are you serious? You're, you're gonna roll out and leave me on Thanksgiving? Because like, I stayed here and I didn't go home to my parents' house for Thanksgiving for you because you were sleeping on the floor. And he looked me dead in my face and was like, I didn't tell you to do that. And I was pissed at myself because the truth of the matter is he didn't ask me to do that. He didn't give a shit whether I was there or whether I was gone. I chose to be there because I was like, oh, he needs me to be here and it's the right thing to do and blah, blah, blah. He didn't give a shit. Tough lesson. Tough lesson. But it was something I thought about watching the This Is Us episode and I was cringing for all the times that I put myself out there because... I thought it was what I was supposed to do. I thought it was what was expected of me to do. And the other person didn't give a shit. And I don't just mean like estranged husband. That was when I learned the lesson. But in that moment, I was like, oh, I did that. I did that to myself. So, yeah. I have the Mueller report on this list. You know, I prayed for Mueller. I was convinced that he was he was gathering all this information and he was going to be the one to take down Trump. And maybe he did put something in the report because we haven't seen the report yet. 
we've we've only heard the summary of the report, which was there was no collusion. He also wasn't exonerated from wrongdoing. There just wasn't collusion. I'm like, what exactly does that mean? I'm like, where is the Drudge report? Because I feel like all this stuff got leaked at some point. Didn't like the Kenneth Starr report? Didn't that get leaked? I want to say everybody and their mother was reading the Kenneth Starr report for Clinton about Lewinsky. We're not going to get the Mueller report, the full version with all the details. I just don't understand how everyone around you gets indicted, found guilty in a court of law, locked up. But you ain't guilty. That Mueller investigation went on forever, forever. All that taxpayer money and nothing. I swear for God, if Trump mess around and get elected again. I remember my boy, one of my best friends, George Bush got elected. He was like, I can't do this shit. And he moved to South Africa for 10 years. Ghana's taking American citizens, I heard. They speak English. I go over to Ghana. Some nice looking men in Ghana. Morris Chestnut looking men. Strong noses. And high cheekbones. I'm just saying. There are options. Last but not least. You have been following this story with Wendy Williams. Last year. I don't know who Wendy pissed off at the Daily Mail. But the Daily Mail published the results of a year-long, what's the word, stakeout on Wendy Williams and her husband. They followed them around, especially the husband. They ran a story with photos that alleged that Wendy's, Wendy Williams' husband, Kevin, had a mistress who was 10 years younger than him, and he was living with her. His name was on their mailbox. They ran Saturday errands, went to the gym and such together. They alleged that Wendy knew all about it. They pointed out that the woman had a ring, a rock rock. Maybe not the size of Wendy's, but not so much smaller. It was embarrassing. Wendy didn't address the rumors directly. She either essentially said or directly said, I stand by my man. And that was that. That's how she shut it down. And shortly after that, there was a round of rumors that the mistress was pregnant. Wendy's legal team was sending out cease and desist orders to a blogger who reported about it. I cannot remember his name. It's a beautiful blowout. I guess sometime last week, the rumor started again that the alleged baby had been born. A YouTube vlogger. And it was really distasteful what she did. She she heard that that Kevin's girlfriend was giving birth, had given birth at a hospital in Pennsylvania. So she called the hospital and found out what the woman's room number was. She recorded the conversation with the nurse. She said she wanted to send flowers. And then she asked if she could be transferred to the room. She got the woman on the phone. I know she's mistress to a married man, but she's also a woman who just gave birth. Does she really need somebody playing on her damn phone? I just thought that was a lot. Call the hospital. Confirm that she's there. She's in the maternity ward. Journalists, 
That's the job. Blogger, that's the job. And then the woman gave all the address and everything of where the woman was staying. I was like, that's that's too much. Wendy hasn't confirmed it. Before we heard about the kid was born, Wendy goes on TV one morning. And mind you, she hasn't been back on the show that long. She was on hiatus forever, allegedly dealing with the effects of Graves' disease and this fractured shoulder that we don't really know how it got fractured. I mean, it's not really our business, but she put it out there. It was fractured and then nobody knows how. But she gets on TV one morning. She says she's living in a sober house. She has a 24-hour sober coach. She's been sober for years. She's had a relapse. Allegedly, she started using cocaine and alcohol again. After the, I wouldn't say it's news broke, when rumors were heavily circulating that her husband's mistress had given birth to a baby girl, allegedly, she leaves the sober house, gets rid of her coach, wanders off somewhere, gets a bunch of alcohol, and is found blacked out somewhere and had to be taken to the hospital what is it called? Is the banana cocktail? Basically, they rinse you with fluids, hydrate you, and get the liquor out your system and clean you up. And then she was on air the next morning. I have no idea of the truth of any of this. Page six is reporting it. They got people to fact check a lot of that stuff and lawyers have to clear it, and keep them from being sued. If any of it's true, it's terrible. I know a lot of people have been like, oh, Wendy's been horrible to people. She's terrible. She tells all their business. She's been torturing people for years. This is karma. Maybe it is. I don't know. Wendy's hugely popular and has been for a really long time. I remember when I first got to New York, I mentioned that earlier that I interned at Vibe. Like people would be in the office playing music all day. It'd be one sound at one side of the office, another sound in the middle and another sound at the other in between that, people had on headphones, people were transcribing stuff or just listening to music, talking about nothing. But when Wendy came on, everybody would turn everything else off. It would be like surround sound to Wendy in the office. Everybody had their radio turned to Wendy, hanging on her every word. So I feel like everybody who's like, oh, Wendy, Wendy's the worst. Wendy's this. Like everybody who listens to that show and contributes to her ratings, which made sure that she stayed on the air, is complicit. And Wendy's success. Same thing with the TV show. People be like, I hate Wendy. Wendy's the worst. Anytime something crazy happened, people be like, ooh, girl, let me see what Wendy's talking about. All these bloggers, gossip bloggers, out here talking about Wendy and be like, ooh, it's karma and I hate Wendy. Wendy paved the way for you to do your job. You exist because Wendy Williams existed. And you dragging Wendy... Ain't no different than the way Wendy dragged other people. Delighting in somebody else's meltdown, it's the same shit. Whether it's Wendy doing it to Whitney or the alleged gay rappers or you doing it to Wendy. Different era. Different platform. You can call it karma. You can call it whatever you want. I take no delight in seeing this woman seemingly self-destruct over an ain't shit man. Because let me tell you, if your husband running out having babies with other people, your husband ain't shit. Now, if you choose to stay, so be it. But acknowledge what it is. Your husband raw dogging other chicks while being married to you. Messing up the finances of the house. Paying child support to a new child outside the union. Lying and cheating. 
choose to stay, just acknowledge that shit. Some folks want to be married. They want to honor their vows by any means. Okay. I hear you. Maybe he'll grow. Maybe be a better person. Maybe that's what you're hoping on. That's a lot of hope. A lot of hope. This is a depressing ass episode. I apologize. I tried to perk it up. But that Nipsey Hussle murdered so young. That's just a lot of tragedy. Like I said, my prayers are with his his family, his children, with Lauren London. My prayers are with Wendy and little Kev. Because if any of that stuff that's, that's being alleged is true, that's a shit show. I genuinely hope that she's um she's able to maintain her sobriety. And then she gets a friend. She gets a friend because the sober coach is one thing, but you need somebody who loves you that, you know, 110% is in your corner and can, can love on you, can help you, can pray for you, can support you. Needs a therapist. I don't know if the, the sobriety coach is also a therapist, but a therapist needs to be involved. As a rule, I don't tell people to leave their spouses. But if a mofo is killing you or you think you might want to die, it's time to go. Don't waste your pretty. All right. So that is my episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your patience while I pull this together. I'm actually going to actively willfully skip the episode for Thursday. I may try again on Monday. I'll let you know. Follow me on Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas, and I'll keep you updated there. I'm moving on Wednesday and I don't know where I'm asleep because I ain't got no bed and I ain't got no mattress. We'll figure that part out. In the meantime, thank you as always for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. And we'll talk soon enough. Bye. Bye.